I read about a husband who called the police station because his wife went missing, as far as he thought anyway, when she heard about uh, some that needed to be rescued from a flood. So the police dispatcher asked some questions. What's, what's her height? The husband said, well, honestly, I'm not exactly sure. Probably around five feet. What's her weight? I don't know that either. Uh, she's not slim, but she's not fat. Police dispatcher, what's the color of her eyes? It's sort of light brown, but she changes it. No, no, that's her hair. No, yeah, yeah, light brown hazel, I think. Yeah, I never really noticed though. Police dispatcher, what color of hair? No, that's the one. She changes that. I think it's brown this time of year right now. I can't really remember. Police dispatcher, what was she wearing? Let's see. Might have been pants, maybe a skirt, could be shorts. I don't, I don't really know. Police dispatcher, what kind of vehicle? My Jeep. What kind of Jeep, said the police dispatcher. It was a 2010 Rubicon with a Synfrex supercharger, intercooler Diablo 2000 Trinity programmer, Terraflex Falcon, re rear wheel shafts method. On and on he went. The police dispatcher. Don't worry, buddy. We'll find your Jeep. <laughs> okay. That's a funny story. I know. But it does, unfortunately, parallel the juxtaposition that I believe Christians find, that we find ourselves in today about the fundamental Bible teaching that we are going to study this morning. The Trinity is a fundamental doctrine of Christian belief. However, it is often so neglected, considered way too difficult to understand, and much too theoretical to be of any practical good. In fact, as I outlined the series fundamental beliefs this year, I thought, oh, I'll drop this one. I'll just do God, God the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Those three will be good, and I won't talk about the Trinity. Huh. So I was basically doing the same thing. Simply put, the doctrine of the Trinity means that there is one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, Holy Spirit. In other words, God is one essence, like they said, three persons. Richard Rice, theologian at Loma Linda University, said it this way. Nothing is more important to any version of Christian faith than its understanding of God. Think of those words for a minute. Nothing is more important to any version of Christian faith than our understanding of God. And that is what the doctrine of the Trinity is. That's what it does. It helps us to understand who God is. It describes the God we worship. It describes what he's like. It describes how he relates to us and how we should relate to him. But I have to say, it also raises some questions. The last couple of decades, we have witnessed some surprising anti-Trinitarian, anti that's a mouthful in itself, anti-Trinitarian activity in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. 
Maybe you don't know that. Maybe you, you don't realize that. And that's just as well. I, I don't want to bring to your attention anything that doesn't need to be looked at. But on Thursday, we had a Zoom meeting with the Upper Columbia Conference pastoral team. And one of the items, Upper Columbia Conference, you may not know what that is. That's the area-wide churches in northern Idaho, eastern Washington, and south, I mean, northeastern Oregon, the Upper Columbia Conference. One of the items on our Zoom meeting on Thursday was to discuss anti-Trinitarian issues in the church just this week. Some earnest followers of Jesus are questioning this belief. They say, the, they say that the doctrine of the Trinity diverges from our early beliefs. And there are several factors behind this increase that we see today in our church. First of all, the internet, as you know, has given us a flood of information. And that's good in a lot of ways. But it's not absolutely good, especially when it comes to some of these items like this. Secondly, there is a suspicion, a suspicion that the Trinity doctrine comes from Catholic theology. That's what some suppose. Now, to be straightforward, it is true that the Catholic Church and virtually all Protestant churches affirm the Trinity doctrine. But, but, there are differences, little nuances that are different among all of them and how we see this doctrine as the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Thirdly, there is a sense, and maybe you've noticed this in your own life, there's a sense among some that if it's original, it's more reputable. Have you ever felt that before or thought that before? If it's original, it's more pure. That may be the case with some things, but not with everything for sure. In other words, if I just were to put it into words, what the church was, the Adventist church in its infancy, 160, 170 years ago, affirmed something that is right and we've moved beyond it which is described then as apostasy. That's the thinking that is going on. I have to say that original may be better in some ways, but not in this regard, because it's a, a serious fallacy. The theological roots of the Seventh-day Adventist Church were quite fluid. They were quite dynamic. Okay, what do I mean by that? Okay, what do I mean? Well, let me just give you an, a tiny slice of Adventist history, and there's much more that could be said about this, but let me just give you a tiny slice. The Seventh-day Adventist Church emerged from the remnants of the Millerite movement. Okay, you know that. There was a movement, and believing that, and it was a, it was a movement of, from, of people from all denominations. I mean, but they were united in the conviction that Christ's return was imminent, the Millerite movement. There were Baptists, there were Presbyterians, there were Methodists, there were Congregationalists, there were Episcopalians, Lutherans, there were many more, varying 
uh, denominations with all sorts of biblical flavors. And some of the principal players at this formative time of the Seventh-day Adventist Church who became prominent leaders had been part of a group called the Christian Connection. Now, that doesn't mean much of anything to most of us here, but the Christian Connection was a group that were opposed to the Trinity doctrine. And so then as the people all came together from all these different understandings, the Holy Spirit was at work guiding believers of different persuasions, different backgrounds toward biblical truth. And it was an amazing time, amazing time of clarity and, and understanding and, and Bible study. And the truth of the matter is that it took more than 50 years for this doctrine of the Trinity to normalize. Did you hear that? 50 years. And that unsettles some people. Maybe it unsettles you a little bit. That creates some suspicion among some people that there's some kind of a sinister conspiracy going on here with this. Not so, says Dr. Merlin Burt, professor of, at the Adventist Seminary, and he's also director of a Center for Adventist Research. This is what he says. The development of this doctrine emphasized that our theology our doctrine, what we believe about God, is supremely dependent upon Scripture. I have to say amen to that. That's what this, this whole picture emphasizes. In other words, our theology, our theology merely means what we believe about God. Okay, our theology is settled on what the Word of God teaches, not on what Christian tradition says. And that's what happened with this particular doctrine. Scripture says, Scripture says, Proverbs 4, verse 18, the path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighty, brighter till it the full light of day. Now that suggests that there's a growing understanding, isn't there? Another one, Hebrews 2, 1 reads, we must pay the more care, most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Careful attention, it says. And that's what we're trying to do here at Village Church with this series in 2023. We are going to be focusing on these 28 fundamental teachings of the Bible. Week by week, we're going to do that. And we're going to root our faith, not in these written things, but in the Word of God, so that we do not merely become people who obey carefully crafted rules, and voted lists. We want to be a people of the word, don't we? A people of God's word. So to that end, that is where we will go this year with this, this series on fundamental beliefs. And uh, here's how this second fundamental belief is stated. There is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a unity of three co-eternal persons. God is immortal, all-powerful, all-knowing, above all, and ever-present, goes on to say. He is infinite and beyond human comprehension, yet known through his self-revelation. God, who is love, is forever worthy of worship, adoration, and service by the whole creation. Now, I have to say amen to that. I love that statement. It's so 
clear and concise and God-honoring and Bible uh, truth um, riveting. That, that, and that statement, I think, expresses three critical truths, three critical truths that we'll just uh, camp on for a little bit, and then we're going to go on to some, some discussion of these things. First of all, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all distinct persons. That's one thing. Number two, each of the Trinity, persons of the Trinity, the three are fully God. And number three, there is only one God. So this morning, we're going to look at those things, those points, and then we're going to make some application of them, uh, some application in our lives of this important doctrine, this important teaching from Scripture. So the Bible speaks, you know, the Bible speaks about God as Father, God as Son, and God as Holy Spirit. That's kind of hard to, to put our mind around that. But to be clear, the word Trinity is not found anywhere in Scripture. Nowhere do you find that word. But the truth of Trinity, the truth that God is one and three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that is biblical. There may not be the word Trinity, but that is biblical. A host of verses that we could look at. We don't have time to look at all of them, but it's you know, there's clear study from God's word from Genesis to Revelation. Let me just take a smattering, okay? Philippians 1 verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that tell you about the Father? He's God. God our Father, okay? So that's, the Father is God, okay? How about another one? Titus chapter 2 verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glorious the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What does that say about Jesus Christ? That's not saying two people are coming, by the way. It's saying Jesus is coming, and he is what? He's God. Okay? And then, how about this one? It's Acts 5, 3 and 4. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has also has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit. You have not lied to just human beings, but to God. What does that say about the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God. The Father is God. Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit of God is God. Each person of the Godhead is fully distinct and fully God. Now, that, that, that's, that says it so clearly, in my opinion. But some say that God is one and just manifests himself in different ways. You know, that's what some people say. They say, oh, sometimes he's father, sometimes he's son, and on occasion he's the Holy Spirit, but it's all one. One person just showing themselves in two different ways. But that ignores what Scripture is saying. Others suggest that Jesus is just a little bit lower. Okay, not quite God, but almost there a step down from God. And then they quote John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And they say, see, that word begotten, what does that mean? Well, in the King James language from hundreds of years ago, that means created. But that word begotten actually translates a Greek word, as you know. I mean, the, the Bible, did you know this? The Bible wasn't written in King James. 
It was written in Greek and Hebrew and a little bit in Aramaic. So the translation of this word that is translated in the King James or New King James as begotten is the word monogonese. I am horrible at this, so monogonese. The Greek word has nothing to do with being created. Monogonese means that it's one of a kind. Jesus was one of a kind. Jesus was unique. Jesus was one and only. That's what he was. Was he God? Well, you don't have to look at John 1.1 to know that. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who was this Word that became flesh? Jesus. So he is God. He is God, and he has been one with God from eternity. That's what the Bible says. He was with God from the beginning, it says. So, and then there's, there's much more, okay? We could talk for a long time about this. At Jesus' baptism, what did we see at his baptism? Well, we see three distinct persons of the Godhead. We hear a, there's a voice from heaven who speaks. There's a spirit that descends as a dove. And then Jesus is being baptized. There's three distinct. There are not, these, these are not just different ways of looking at God or different roles he plays. This is God distinctly. Some suggest that the Holy Spirit, this is what some say, the Holy Spirit is just a, a force. The Holy Spirit is not a person. But the Bible never refers to the Holy Spirit as an it, like it's a thing. The Bible always gives a masculine pronoun to it. He's a he. He is not an impersonal force. He is not just the presence of God. He is not an, an amalgam of the mind of the Father and the Son. That's what some people say. The Holy Spirit, it says, I'm just going to give you a brief, just run down these. The Holy Spirit speaks, Hebrews 3, 7. The Holy Spirit reasons, Acts 15, 28. The Holy Spirit thinks and understands, 1 Corinthians 2, 10, 11. The Holy Spirit wills, 1 Corinthians 12, 11. The Holy Spirit feels, Ephesians 4, 30. The Holy Spirit gives personal fellowship, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. These are all qualities of a person, not an it, not a thing. This week, this week I accessed and read a short book by a, an Adventist friend, friend of mine. And in it, this person says that fundamental belief number two, in other words, the doctrine of the Trinity, is a theologian's idea of what the, what the Bible means and it's drifting away from our theological roots. That's what this book said. And the author contends that this fundamental belief, number two, goes beyond inspired writings. In simple language, in simple language, the book argued that Jesus is secondary to the Father. Jesus' life is just his father's. That's what he says. But Jesus said, I and the Father are one. 
John 10, verse 30. Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am, John 8, 58. And that is the name that God revealed himself to Moses by as the great I am. And Jesus says, that's who I am. Jesus uses the same word to describe himself. Each person, in other words, so just putting a stamp on it, each person of the Godhead is fully God, not one-third God, okay? It's not div God divided in three parts. Each person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and this is hard to, to get, okay? But each person is 100% God, 100% God. Like it says in Colossians about Jesus, okay? Colossians 2, verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. What does that say about Jesus? He is fully God. The entire thing right there. He is not like a pie cut into three parts, okay? That would make each part less than fully God, right? If you just cut a pie into three pieces. But the truth of the matter is that each person of God is equal to the whole being of God. Now, I can't understand that. I can't explain that other than just to say it. There's some mysteries that are beyond us. But it's true that each person of God is equal to the whole being of God. But if each person of the Trinity is distinct and yet fully God, does that mean that there's more than one God? No, as our scripture reading this morning read, Thank you very much, Mia and Benjamin, for reading that. Our scripture reading, it, it proclaims this great verse in Deuteronomy, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. Say it with me. The Lord is one. That wasn't too enthusiastic, but that's up to you. huh? All three persons, the, the trinity of the Godhead, are all one. Our scripture reading then went on to say, these other two verses, and they bring it together. Look at them again. Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Again, the Trinity. Why would a person be baptized in the name of anything that's not God? Okay? Next one. May the grace of our Lord, this is 2 Corinthians 13, 14. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit with you all, be with you all. Again, saying all three. It may seem like a contradiction. I know. It may seem like a contradiction to say that God is both three and one. But he is not three in the same way that he is one. And I know this is really getting gobbledygook, huh? But that's the truth of the matter. Theologians try to explain it this way. They say God is one in being or essence and three in person. I'm just going to leave that one right there because that, that's worth a, a lifetime of thinking about. God is, is one in essence or being and three in person. It's complicated. Um, and when we're trying to describe God, the, the Trinity, we're, we're only describing what Scripture suggests. And it's hard. It's complicated. But it's important. It's very important. It's important because the Trinity talks about God, who God is. And to understand more about God, to understand him better, is what it means to honor him, to worship him, 
to follow him. And that's exactly what God is on the lookout for. You know the verse in John 4, verse 24. God is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So he's out, he's looking for. And so to understand him better, the work of salvation is God's work. All of him. Three persons of him. God doesn't ag out to a secondary, subordinate, angelic helper. Okay? He doesn't tag out to this one called Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, you take over. He's a little bit less. Holy Spirit, he tags out to him. You take care of it. No, he doesn't tag out to someone less. When I was young, I don't know, this probably dates me, but we used to play tag team wrestling. I don't know, when I was a kid. Tag team, anybody heard of tag team wrestling? We used to do it all the time as a kid. I mean, all the time. We'd be in twos, sometimes in threes. And we would wrestle. But you had another person that was there that could help you. And if you tagged out, he would come in. And you'd, you'd be in there with one opponent. And, and you'd be wrestling with them. And maybe it was someone stronger. Maybe someone a little bit more agile. Well, then you'd reach over and you'd tag out and bring in someone in from your team. And they would wrestle. And, and the whole thing was trying to pin the other opponent. Now, I know it's an infinite stretch, okay? Okay, I'm sorry for, for making this stretch, but the Trinity, the Trinity, God did not tag out when he came to helping us. You know what I mean? I'll send my son. He's not quite there. He's almost God. You know, he's, you know, he didn't tag out when he sent the Holy Spirit. He didn't send someone else who is a subordinate, someone less than, someone who is less powerful, less saving, less helpful. God, the threesome of God, they are all with us. They are all for us. They are with us and for us all the time. And I have to say amen to that. The divine threesome. God loved us so much. He loved us so much that he entered history himself, Jesus, in the person of his son, to reconcile us. And then in the person of the Spirit, he dwells with us and lives in us. That, too, is a mystery that we'll talk about in a few weeks here on the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to his disciples, John 14, verse 9, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. God revealed himself to us in Jesus. And that's who he really is. That's who he really is. The miraculous birth of the Son came about by the Spirit. That's what it says in Scripture. Luke 1, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And again, in Luke 1, 15 and 4, 1 and 2, it says, Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of the Holy Spirit from birth, before birth, all the way till his death. When Jesus hung from the cross, cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here we see a beautiful picture of the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. On the cross, Jesus was bearing the eternal punishment for human sin, for your sin and my. Jesus on the cross, because he bore that, he was separated from the Father because of our sin. 
the eternal punishment for our sin was on him, and that is separation from God. Hebrews 9, verse four, uh, 14 gives such an insightful glance into where the Spirit was in this as well. Look at Hebrews 9, 14. The blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, get that, the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God. There it is, Father, Son, Holy Spirit on the cross, Jesus giving himself, giving up his life for us, and the Holy Spirit is at work there too. The Holy Spirit is at work, just as he was at every moment of Jesus' life, to strengthen him, to help him, to, to come alongside him. The Father, the Father could not intervene. My God, my God, why have you forsaken? The Father could not intervene. Because Jesus had to bear this punishment if we are to be saved. But the Holy Spirit at that crucial time was Jesus' comfort. That's what that verse says, was Jesus' hope. In that moment of God-forsakenness, Jesus bears the anguish of our suffering. The Father bears the pain of giving up Jesus. And the Spirit uh, powerfully mediates hope, all three, right there on the cross. All were engaged. All were at work for our salvation. And by the way, they're still at work for you, for me, the Godhead, to save you, to save me. On the day of Jesus' resurrection, John 20, verse 22, it says, Jesus breathed on his followers and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He knew he was going. But he breathed. And then Paul put it this way in Romans 8, verse 11. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Do you see that? That's a complicated verse. But you see there all three at work in us for our salvation. Through the Holy Spirit, we now live the resurrection life. That's what it says. The Holy Spirit gives us a new dynamic for living, a new power, new life. Here's how one Bible scholar said it. Abiding in Christ is also abiding in the Spirit, or the abiding of Christ is in us is also the abiding of the Spirit. Now, that's just kind of back and forth, but it's, it's, it just says that the Spirit of God living in you, in me, is the Spirit of God. Finally, understanding the Trinity magnifies the Bible teaching about the church. It's interesting. It was the worship and the honor of God in the early church that helped them to understand that God was three in one. God worked through both the Son and the Spirit to grow the church, to give the church life. In fact, if you just do a, a casual reading of the book of Acts, you'll find that it's not so much a story of what the disciples did, but it's a story of what the Spirit of God did. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost that empowered God's church to proclaim God's word 
in the world with boldness. And over and over again, if you read the books of book of Acts and Acts 2, 4 and 4, 31, 7, 55, it describes Christ's followers as, as being filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit directs, guides, empowers where to do, where to go, what to say. The Holy Spirit fell on pagan outsiders and informed Jewish insiders. And as I said, the sheer amount of the Holy Spirit's activity in, in the early church makes some people say that it wasn't established by Jesus' followers, but by the Holy Spirit of God. God's activity as Father, Son, and Spirit not only brings the church into existence, that love that is within the Trinity characterizes and gives an eternal meaning to what the church is and what our character is. What do I mean by that? Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This distinctive quality that is about God in the person of Father, Son, and Spirit, this love, this, this relationship that they enjoy together sets, us, sets apart his church as the same sort of thing. A church where love, the love of God, sets us apart from other groups, human groups. God, his everlasting love is a continuation in the church. That love that was existed in the Trinity. Jesus wants us, his followers, to enjoy the same relationship that he enjoys as God. Here's what Jesus prayed in John 17, 21. That they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Do you see that? The, the relationship there that's the love that Jesus has for his followers, the love that, that God has for Jesus, Jesus' love for God, all that together is to become a living experience in the church of God. The love that flows between Father and Son flows through the church, and the Holy Spirit is the link that empowers the church to live that life. Our very existence as a church is by that power that unites us that love that works in us, that love that makes us a witness to the world that's unique, and that's a picture of the triune God, the Trinity, from eternity, okay? God, God Father, Son, and Spirit were a, a loving community. He created the universe out of that loving community, and he makes this church a loving community, just like that, in his image. To me, as I think about it, it's not unlike, I mean, I know it's a far stretch again, it's not unlike the way parents, when they have a child, make that child the center of their home. All of you who are parents know how that works. And I remember that very well in my own life when we had our firstborn, and all of a sudden our life was transformed. Everything was now focused on this one little person. Our children became the center. And I have to say, no, I'm not going to show you any pictures of my grandchildren, although I was tempted to. <laughs> but, 
But I have so enjoyed watching my children, watching this happen for each one of them. You know, the same thing happened for them. And I have to say, particularly, particularly, and I don't mean if Evan or Nolan, if you watch this, I don't think any less of your fatherhood, but particularly with my daughter. Why is that? I don't know. Uh, something about a mother who has a baby. And then something about seeing our daughter, who I never saw as being interested in kids at all. Never at all. All of a sudden relegate work, effort, life to some secondary spot so that she can take care of that little baby. It has just amazed me. She's such a good mother. <laughs> and I, I, I don't know whether I ever thought that she wouldn't be, but it does surprise me. And you know what? Just now apply that to God. I know it's an infinite compar comparison, but just apply it to God. That's the way he is with you. That's the way he is with me. He sets aside everything for you, for me, for our good, for our health, for our wisdom, for our, our support. We are the center of his concern, all of them. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all of them. He didn't relegate this work to some secondary person. Not some minor league, secondary player. He gave himself, his whole self, Father, Son, Spirit, to be a part of his community. And I have to just say, praise the Lord. The church, we're not just a collection of believers. We're united to our head, who is Jesus, who creates Community, the Knights, Walla Walla Valley Academy Knights have team spirit. Walla Walla Academy has school spirit. But the church, they don't just have spirit by the people who are a part of this team. The church has the spirit who empowers, who is God, who lives in us and for us. So being saved then doesn't mean that, oh, it's, it's something much more than what we think. It's to become a part of this fellowship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and His church, of which He is the head. Now, it may be true that we come to faith alone. Okay? We come to believe in Him as an individual alone, okay? But we don't stay that, say that, we don't stay that way. We may be saved as individuals, but we become a part of the body. We come into relationship. Just as the Trinity is about relationships, so too the church is about relationships. And I have to say, some of you are away for reasons. You know, you aren't, a you aren't able to come and fellowship with us. Some of you, that will be the way it will be until you pass into the rest of sleep. But for some of you, it's just for a season because circumstances may keep you away, but God draws you to his circle of love, which is the church, which is the fellowship that he creates. And I don't know about you, but knowing the almighty God, knowing father, son, and spirit is, well, 
like we started. It's a lot better than um, finding my Jeep. It's like, it's like a winning team, a winning team on the court, on the field, cooperating together. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit working together in ways that a human team would never be able to work toward a common goal. And that common goal is you, your salvation, your plans, your purposes, your good. God the Father sustains and supports. God the Son saves us and shows us the way of love. God the Spirit strengthens us and guides us in the way of righteousness like an ultimate dream team, okay? Which is far from it, okay? The Trinity works together, doing everything possible for you. And wouldn't you like to put your name on this little card at this time to say, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a unity of three co-eternal persons and in putting your name there would you say yes to him yes to him today yes to him forever let's pray father in heaven thank you for the, your word that teaches us this powerful truth that you are all for us you have done everything you can to save us father son spirit and now we want to give you ourselves you who didn't stop at anything save us. Now we want to save us all. Thank you. We give you our lives, our devotion, our faith, our sacrifice.